0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the More from Law Podcast. I'm your host, Harry Clark. This episode features Brendan Kumurasami, speaker, YouTuber and founder of MasterTalk. Brendan shares his thoughts on how to become a better public speaker, day to day communicator, as well as the different approaches needed to perform either well in person or in an online virtual setting. Let's get into it. So hi Brendan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Of
1: course, my pleasure to be on, Harry.
0: It's a pleasure to have you here, and uh, we're going to be talking about talking today, which is a bit of <laughs> a, a point, and kind of all things communication and thinking about both, you know, just the sort of day-to-day communications that most people will have in person and writing, but also this kind of more formal idea of public speaking and, and kind of presentations and thinking on that scale, which I think is really relevant, especially to the world of law. But before we get too much into that sort of thing, um, a nice kind of icebreaker question I like to ask people coming come to the show is just sort of to tell me a bit about yourself and your background for people who haven't had the chance to, to meet you before.
1: Yeah, for sure. So my name's Brendan. I'm the founder of Master Talk. It's a YouTube channel I started to help the world master the art of communication, public speaking, mm-hmm. and how everything started for me when I was in university. When I went to business school, if you had asked me what I wanted out of life, I would have told you I wanted to be a management consultant at McKinsey or IBM or mm-hmm. one of those companies, and you know do really well after university. So, so I competed in these things called case competitions. Think of it like. Um, it's kind of like moot courts in the sense of mm. it's professional sports for nerds where you just present for a living and that's what you do <laughs> so anyways i presented 500 times in university coached 100 people did it and competed in so many competitions and then mm. cuz i just loved it so much and then i i kind of asked myself how can i translate all the knowledge that i accumulated in university into video so that's how master talk started
0: fantastic As so, of course i'm sure along the way you developed all kinds of nuances and insights into how to get sort of better at communicating Um, but I think a really important question to start with is is why is it so important in the first place Um, especially with everything that's going on now you know day-to-day in-person communication has changed um, massively but just for most careers and as a general point what do you think is the real importance of actually needing to get better at communication and practicing it as a skill
1: yeah, sure. So the, the angle I like to take, uh, Harry, is public speaking allows you to scale your ideas. So mm-hmm. since we're talking specifically to a law audience here, yes, it's true, you obviously need communication if you want to be a litigator, if you want to be better at communicating, whether it's writing or in person but the way that I like to phrase it to motivate you and incentivize you to do better at communication beyond your career is how are you going to use your skills as a lawyer to make a difference so let's say you wanna pass new policy let's say you wanna do pro bono work for Mm -hmm. you to actually win those cases against other really good lawyers you want to make sure that your communication skills and in-person skills and that written skill is so good that it allows you to make that change you want to seek in the world. So my my point of view is public speaking is the difference between having a one on one conversation with a client to impacting hundreds of people in a courtroom or how you share your message and how you get laws changed in your favor.
0: Fantastic. And so I guess for you then what was the what was the kind of reason when you wanted to start getting better at communicating yourself, obviously this this notion that you wanted to share this idea and I'm sure that you know this, the, the points you've raised in terms of it being important have kind of fundamentally come into it, but when it came to your sort of first time of wanting to explore this idea of um, getting better at communicating and taking part as these nerd competitions, as you say, <laughs> and, and viewing it as this real sort of vocation to pursue, what was what was your main sort of primary reason for pursuing that?
1: The idea is it's a transition, right? In the sense of when you do it the first time, like mm-hmm. when, you, when you start doing, so it's similar to anyone in law school. So when I was in business school, what I mostly wanted to do was, was get a job at one of the consulting firms. So my public speaking why was winning a bunch of case competitions. I would just go to universities and compete, and I would realize that I had a knack for communication. So mm-hmm. I wanted to keep refining my skill, keep getting better over and over and over again. And then the public speaking why shifted from me just being a great speaker to inspire Inspiring the next generation of mm-hmm. students who would enter the program, so they were they would be new, you know, first year students, second year students, and at that point I would be a second, third year student. So I would be their public speaking mentor. But who would listen to a guy who doesn't know how to speak? So I needed mm-hmm. to make sure I was always the best presenter in the class. But then after I left university and I and I started working in corporate, I think for me the public speaking why has now morphed into. Uh, well, you know, if if the public speaking coach can't talk, why would anyone listen to him? So I think that's the that's the way that it shifted for me
0: enough. And I guess, you know, going from that sort of first starting point, like you mentioned, through to through to where you are now, I think that that notion of getting out there and putting yourself out there in any capacity, be it speaking or producing content online or just sort of conversing and putting yourself in the public sphere is obviously very nerve wracking for a lot of people. Um, So I guess as a kind of base primary starting question, um, what do you think are the main ways that people can get better at developing in, in communication skills?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the the so let's talk about public speaking as a foundational skill and then talk about how we can share the message with people and get over the fear of posting stuff. So, mm-hmm. the first part of it is we need to understand that public speaking fear, you know, the nervousness that we have around it is not our fault. There's mm-hmm. this misconception that oh, for some reason, everyone in society seems to be scared of public speaking. We don't actually know why. So, let me clarify that for everyone. The first place that we need to start with this question or with this um, this thought is where have we given the vast majority of our presentations? And the answer is almost always school mm-hmm. because we don't do presentations for fun. We don't wake up one morning and go, hey, Harry, you want to get breakfast and present all day? Like that doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't work. So what happens is during your history class as a 15-year-old in high school, your teacher tells you to give a presentation on the Renaissance and you think it's like a fruit. When you find out later that it's a time period in history. So the situation is as follows. You don't get to pick any of the topics of your presentations for the most part. You're presenting it to students who don't care or don't want to listen to you, not because they don't like you, but because they're worried about their own presentation. And then you have a teacher who's extremely stressed, who's very competent, but doesn't have time to coach 30 people on public speaking, has to go through all of these people in a mm. single class or two. So, no wonder we're scared of public speaking. We're not viewing it as an impact driver, as a way to make a change, rather than a chore, a responsibility, an obligation, something that's tied to a grade. So, that's where mm. kind of the root of the problem is, because this gets perpetuated in every presentation we get, whether it's math, sciences, etc., etc. The second part of that equation is knowing how to practice. So when you think about a new skill, whether it's uh, learning how to bake, whether it's playing basketball, whether it's learning a new instrument, in those types of situations, what tends to happen is you always want to focus on the foundational skills. So let's say you're playing basketball. Sure, you can do special tricks, but the focus should be on dribbling the ball, understanding the court, and above all, getting the ball in the net. Mm -hmm. But we don't apply that same analogy to public speaking. Your university teacher, your boss, your clients come up to you on Wednesday and say, ''Harry, I need a presentation for Friday.'' So you get ready, you get all the slides together, you present it on Friday, And you take the presentation, you throw it in the garbage. So you're not doing what the best speakers in the world are doing, which is presenting one or two presentations hundreds of times so that they become Mm. an absolute genius in that talk, so that they can perpetuate all of the learnings from that one single presentation into their day-to-day lives.
0: Mm. No, absolutely insightful one. Um, I think as well, another element I think I'd add to that is is the idea of being junior within an organization and and, and feeling the sort of pressure of having to deliver to, to more senior people. And that kind of leads me on a little bit to understanding audience, which, you know, based on uh, any kind of communications or public speaking uh, information or, or blog posts or any other kind of literature I've read um, is always kind of considered a key component. so what is what is your process generally for needing to tailor those one or two presentations you might give but delivering it in an obviously different way depending on those who are in front of you and your audience
1: yeah it's a good question i would say the difference is that great speakers think about their audience and the best speakers in the world obsess over them Mm -hmm. so instead of thinking about your audience you should be talking to them so for me i've presented my keynote to senior executives of companies all the way down to 10-year-old Rebecca who knows how to code, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very it's very different audiences. So the way that I tailor the presentation, since it's the same content anyways, as I sit down with the people, whether it's 15 or 30 minutes before the presentation actually starts, to understand not just who they are, but what they aspire to be. What are they scared of? What do they dra- dream about? And that stuff, those components, their psychology matters a lot more because if we start to understand that better we can tailor our presentation. I'll give you a great example here that applies for law. So there's this great book I read called Conspiracy. It's, a, it's, a, it's by the author Ryan Holiday and he talks about how Peter Thiel, a billionaire entrepreneur, was the founder of PayPal and with Elon Musk, how he took down this company called Gawker that was a, a gossip company through the court of law and it took him 10 years. But at the end when he finally got a hearing Uh, What happened was it was a jury, so they had to play not just to the facts and the data that people in the jury didn't really understand, because they're just average human beings from different parts of the country, but Mm -hmm. rather the emotions— the emotions of what was going on, whether it was the way that this person was humiliated, the way that Gawker is um, insinuating bad things about life. And they created this narrative throughout the days of the court of law and prepared that presentation hundreds of times so that they got the outcome they wanted, which was gawkers bankruptcy so even in the court of law we need to especially if the jury decides your fate you need to understand in different scenarios how do you obsess with your audience at a point to communicate the exact same information in a way that they want to hear it
0: a lot of this episode we've talked about the kind of more formal types of, of sort of speaking communication be it you're on a stage or you're, you're being tasked with giving that big pitch or that big presentation where there's an element of kind of preparation um, but I think another kind of reason I wanted to speak with you and this is equally applicable to the world of law is is that kind of more just day-to-day off the cuff on the spot sort of forms of communication which will hopefully lead to some form of relationship building be it you know trying to win a client or just professionally within the workplace or anything else and trying to sort of build connections um, I guess based on your experience when you've been able to to speak to all these different people and all these different sort of backgrounds, levels of seniority as you say, um, is there sort of a speaker mode that you switch between when it comes to your way of thinking and how you're approaching what you're saying or instead is there a, you know the same sort of approach and mandate when it comes to just making those sort of day-to-day connections?
1: Mm, yeah, so I think there's kind of two buckets I want to talk about. So the first bucket mm-hmm. is when we're we're networking for a job. So I totally get it. You know, we got to go to the networking cocktails. We got to go through the firm tours, meet all the all the partners from the different law firms and hopefully get an offer to either intern or get a full-time job. I've been there, mm-hmm. I went through consulting recruitment, I went through you know the big for accounting firms recruitment. So I get it. You need to network a certain way. You need to talk a certain way. So what I would recommend in that situation, is mirroring. So you want to mirror the energy of the person that you're speaking to. So in this conversation that we're having, even if it's for law students, it's pretty informal. So as I'm mm-hmm. talking to Harry, I'm not trying to like prove anything or say anything in particular. So when we're speaking, it's fairly informal like energy. I just keep it, you know, pretty excited mm-hmm. to be here, life is great. But if you were a <laughs> senior partner, right, at a at a at, you know, a litigation law firm that I wanted to Um, that I wanted to impress, that would change. So what would happen is I would spend a lot more time listening to you Mm because people like to talk. They like to be like, they like to talk about themselves. And the second thing is I would ask them insightful questions as, and to give them the illusion as if I was already working there. So let's Mm -hmm. say, for example, I was speaking to you. Here's some of the questions that I would ask you. Um, what, what is your what is your main method of acquiring new business within the, within the county that you're in within the city that you're in? What are some of the strategies that you use that have been most effective to get new business within the door? I start to think about the business of law and I start to ask them questions about specific articles that I read or new news and give my input to them and ask them for theirs. So I I show them that I have a lot of interest and passion for the specific outcome which that I want is which is a job right? So I think the key is you want to combine mirroring and insightful questions. You want to mirror appropriately. If the if the partner's talking at a very low tone, you don't want to yell at him or else he's going to think that you're not a part of the group. But if he's really loud and you're very quiet, he's also going to think the same thing or she's also going to think the same thing. So you want to make sure that you're um, mirroring appropriately. But the second bucket that I think is more interesting for for the audience and more interesting <laughs> for me, frankly, is how do you network in general? Like how do you build relationships that last? for a long time because a lot of the people that don't know this is most individuals who get jobs in these fancy law firms and these consulting firms and these investment banks they need to understand that most of the reason that they get the job has nothing to do with the partner, but everything to do with the most talented students in the university. What does mm-hmm. this mean? If I'm a first year student and you're a second year student, Harry, and I make a connection with you and we, you know, we have fun, we go to moot law courts, we, you know, we get involved together and you get a summer internship at one of the big law firms in London. And I don't, obviously, because I'm a year younger than you. Who are you going to recommend? Mm-hmm. you're obviously going to recommend me because I'm the person who got involved with you. I'm the one who helped you. I'm the one who was there by your side. You're not going to recommend some schmuck that you just met at a networking cocktail. So when you mm-hmm. think about networking, everyone, you need to focus on on the people within the university because the the top students in that university who get involved are the people that will end up helping you get the referrals that you need and that's exactly how i landed my job right and i was able to out compete Mm. everyone else because i knew all the best students within the university who then recommended me
0: yeah and i think that extends as well to things like university societies which are often right opportunities or this kind of extracurricular initiatives and um, yeah I think you raise a really important kind of broader point of not just thinking towards the end goal and the partner at the top of the food chain of whatever firm I'm trying to reach but everyone else around you and the opportunity to collaborate with others and learn from others both at your level of seniority and those just above or just below it so absolutely um, I, I agree wholeheartedly there. And then finally, I think a really kind of important point to, to talk on would obviously be with everything that's going on with everyone being stuck from home and this this huge shift to sort of virtual methods of communication and, and, and kind of content creation, and everything else that we're kind of seeing right now. Is your advice the same, different, similar? Are you presenting over Zoom to, to executives and things like that? Or is it a, a different kind of learning sort of you've had to take on personally? And, and what's your been reflections on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the idea is with online presentations, the big difference I found now that I'm giving all my keynotes virtually instead of uh, instead of in person now, mm-hmm. is we need to acknowledge the challenge of presenting on Zoom versus in person. So I'll give an example. Let's say that you tell a joke in a, in a law classroom or something like that. What happens is if you tell that joke, you will know immediately if you're funny or not because your, your student, the students in the room are either going to go, oh, Harry, you're really funny, or they're going to say, <laughs> this guy is really not funny, but at least you know. At least yeah. you know the reaction of, of how you're, how the students are reacting to you, but the challenge in online, Harry, is when you present and say that very same joke, here's the punchline. You need to assume it's funny. And the reason you need to assume it's funny is because you can't gauge the reaction anymore because you got 30 images on a screen and you can't tell if people are laughing anymore because you're looking at your slides on the same screen. That Mm. is the challenge. So you need to present with such confidence that even if you don't see people laughing, using the joke example, you don't have to say jokes, but just to prove the point, you have Mm. to assume that what you're saying is hilarious and execute the same joke in the same way as you would have otherwise. So that is where we start with the challenge. So obviously there's other things, like you want to look at the camera lens at all times because you don't need to deviate your eye contact. There's doing Zoom pre-training rooms where you bring the five people you hate the most to a Zoom call and they shred you in a presentation <laughs> before you actually go to the real one. Those are tactics that will help you a lot. But I think the, the overarching thought is by acknowledging that in-person presentations are harder than offline ones or mm. in-person ones, then we can start to build a stronger resilience and really upper energy levels, even if we're alone in our basement presenting the exact same content to the exact same people.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just nodding, nodding along because... Um, having given a lot of webinars and live streams, and I'm sure people listening have had to contend with my terrible jokes and humour. It's a bit <laughs> of a strange experience when you try and make some sort of jovial point, and you look at the screen, and it's just you know 30 faces on mute, just kind of nodding, and someone might crack a smile or something, and it's obviously not always indicative of everyone who's uh, turned up as well. So it's certainly a different beast, and and something a bit different, but. Um, No, I've certainly learned something myself today, both when it comes to uh, the virtual side of things with webinars that I've been giving and also to take it forward when it comes to whenever we enter the the in-person world that I'm sure we're all uh, looking for. But thanks so much for for coming on, Brendan. Where can people go to learn more about yourself and everything we've kind of talked about today?
1: Yeah, of course, Harry. Thanks for having me on. So for those who are interested in public speaking have any questions or anything i'm not famous like you are so feel free to just message me on instagram
0: <laughs> you flatter me
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm at master your talks so feel free to just send me a dm i answer every single one and feel free to also check out my youtube videos if you're interested in all my public speaking tips that i share with my clients they're all for free and that's a master talk in one word
0: fantastic well thanks for coming on and showing some of those tips on this format stay ready it was a uh, great to speak with you
1: my pleasure harry thanks for coming on
0: Thanks so much for listening to another instalment of the More From Law podcast. If you want to keep up to date with the show and make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and sign up to my newsletter over at www.harryclarklaw.com. You can also follow me on most social media channels at the handle Harry Law. If you enjoyed the show, please give it a rating and a review on the iTunes store as this helps others learn about the show and be sure to share it with your networks. You can also support the show by donating to my Patreon, which helps support the running and production costs of the show. For now though, I'll see you in the next episode of More From Law.